Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Hockey Show. Welcome to your Wednesday edition of The Athletic Hockey Show. It's Ian Mendes and Julian McKenzie here to get you through your midweek blues. Pun intended. Ooh. That's it, it hasn't even been 24 hours, Ian. Jeez. Yeah, well, that's the story of the night. I mean, I got home from Ottawa, Carolina late Tuesday night and was kind of putting something together. And all of a sudden, my phone lit up and I saw the news that uh, St. Louis has parted ways with Craig Barube. And so, uh, man, I don't know. I don't know if shocked is the right word, but like. This is a guy that took a team, he coached him to a Stanley Cup. They've essentially been a perennial playoff team for the you know, better part, or, or at least in the mix. Uh, were you surprised that like that he was the guy to go? Like, If you had to pick the next coach that was going to uh, part ways with the, the team would part ways with them, would, would Barube have been number one on your list? I'm not sure if he would have been number one. I, I, I had seen some lists that had him high up. I, I imagine their latest kind of fall is playing a big role in in why he's gone ultimately coaches end up being the easiest people to fire in those situations it is a surprise though I, I i was in the i was in the middle of watching flames golden knights when this news came around this is in the middle of the game i was watching when i saw that news so i was a bit more surprised about the timing about the announcement and now we're seeing that you know J- jeremy rutherford's got a good piece out and, and there's supposed to be media availability today in st louis maybe it's maybe it's just getting in advance of that but yeah, I'm I'm a bit surprised. I, I I wondered if they were going to give him more time. I don't. I wonder what it was like between the players and Barube in that room. It's not like as if they're that far out of a playoff spot either. Uh, so I, I'm I'm curious if this means if if I'm very curious what this means going forward for the organization. You know, uh, Jeremy Rutherford, our colleague, who by the way we are trying like we're trying to get him to join the pod today, but we know that when a coach is. Uh, fired that that becomes the busiest day for a beat writer so we're mindful that there's media stuff going on and he's running around if we can get him great if we can't i think the line that i want to share from jr's uh, column that i think really lands well is he points the finger directly at the general manager doug armstrong and and rutherford says quote this was an executive issue and an execution issue not a coaching issue uh, translation, this is on the general manager and the players that that general manager has signed and in some cases to long-term uh, kind of expensive deals and not on the coach. I, I guess his point is, um, look, it was inevitable. At some point, you part ways with your coach. It doesn't matter if you won a cup or not. But he felt like 28 games into the season was a little bit unfair. 
And the expectations maybe were a little bit unfair on Craig Berube. Yeah, I, I, I read the piece earlier this morning and I got that exact same feel too. I, maybe it is unfair. I, I, maybe they could have waited until halfway through the year. Maybe wait until they get out of their losing skid. Or if you're going to do this, does this mean you're going to retool? Or there's been word that maybe that should be the right course of action for this organization. Are you going to build around Drew Bannister as your head coach who's getting called up from the AHL? Is, and even then, like, really, you're going to do this now? Maybe it's because we're outside of the market. That's why we feel as weird as we do about it. And, and JR obviously could shed some light on it. And people should read his piece on The Athletic. But, yeah, it's a bit of a strange one. It's a bit of a strange one, uh, the Barube firing for me. So Barube is out. He was uh, one of the longest tenured coaches in the NHL. So, Julian, do you know now who, which, uh, let, let, let's just pick the top, we'll call it the top five longest tenured coaches, because Barube was in there. He was the fifth longest tenured coach. If you had to guess. John Cooper has to be number one. John Cooper is the number one. So we're thinking top five coaches, longest. Yeah, tenure. like right John now Cooper's today, number one. Yeah. Oh, uh, God. Okay. So Cooper's been the there since, you know, basically 20, you know, 2013. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Why am I? Let, why am I starting? I'll, I'll help you out. Yeah, this this yeah, is. Yeah, a, yeah. But when I say the names, you'll be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, of course. Uh, uh, Mike Sullivan in Pittsburgh. Oh, of course, he's been he's been there since. Yeah, of course. So. Sheldon Keith's been there for a couple years too. Yeah, but he Sheldon Keith doesn't make it on the list. D, is, was DJ Smith there longer in Ottawa? DJ Smith is on the he list. Was tied he with was. Todd McClellan for fifth. So McClellan and DJ really? Smith took over in the summer of 2019. So in order, I don't have the. Here's how it goes: John Cooper one. Yeah, Mike Sullivan two. That makes sense in Pittsburgh. Bednar three. Yep, you can't forget about Bednar. Bednar's been there since that team made that turnaround when they were bad a couple years ago, and he's been there for that entire ride. He should have been named up there. Rod the Bod, four. He's been there Rod for a while, too. And then a tie between DJ Smith and Todd McCollin. So so Craig Berube I was in there. It's just, I hate that. I felt so confident thinking John Cooper at one. I'm like, all right, I got that right. And then for whatever reason, yeah. my brain just stopped. Like I, I like my, my brain just stopped for a good minute. And I was like, okay, why can't I remember every single coach? I was trying to go through every single team. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, for the purposes of a podcast, you can't just have no, you can't you can't just have dead air while I think dead about air. this, right? No, you can't. We, we we start playing some instrumental jazz music while uh while Julian takes a break to try to figure this out. But yeah, it's uh it's a really uh it's a really interesting list because the top five coaches in terms of tenure, you have three of them who have won Stanley Cups. Well, you had four because Barube had won a cup. Uh, Bednar had won a cup. Cooper won a cup. Sullivan's won a couple of cups. And Brindamore has really transformed that program. Like they've been a perennial cup contender for the most part in his time. So that's a ton of success at, at the top of the heap. And then DJ Smith is the outlier. And they haven't even made the playoffs. Uh, let alone be a Stanley Cup contender. So yeah, but they um, at least they were rebuilding. There was a direction. Yeah, that they absolutely. Were to go on that run. Yeah, yeah. No, no, absolutely. But it's uh, it's interesting. So Craig Berube is uh, boy, like, do you think that there? And, and obviously, Ottawa is an example of a team that maybe they'll make a change at head coach. People talk about the Islanders, although I feel like they've righted the ship. But do you think that there'll be some other teams out there, Julian, that say, "Ooh, wow, wow, wow." Craig Berube suddenly just shook free. Like you remember this because you were in Montreal at the time. 
few years ago, Boston fired Claude Julian and I the Canadians that. swooped in like within days, right? Like that wasn't like, that was the thing that pushed them over. Do you like, is Craig Barube, does he have enough pedigree? Does he have enough sort of cachet that another team would look at their own bench and say, that guy's a that guy's an improvement over what we have? He's a Stanley Cup winner, so automatically he'll get thrown into that pile. I I, I think we're gonna see a, a thing where Craig Barube is just could get cycled over. He was in that he was in Philadelphia for a couple of years. He ends up in St. Louis. Again, he has that cup to his name. I could totally see a team take a chance on him. The question is. Where's the obvious opening for him? Minnesota just made a coaching change, and they seem fine with John Hines. Seattle's kind of far behind, but are they going to get rid of Dave Haxtall? That would be a bit of a surprise. Uh, uh, David Quinn in San Jose? No. I mean, what's that really going to solve for what they're trying to do? Greg Cronin in Anaheim? He He's just got there with, with those guys. Uh, Columbus just made a coaching change at the beginning of the year with Pascal Vincent there. Uh, do you think Pittsburgh's going to move on from Mike Sullivan? I know they're in the basement, but do you see that happening? I don't see that happening. What about Lindy Ruff in New Jersey? I don't know if that's going to happen either. I I don't know. I don't see a very obvious opening, but maybe Ottawa at this point. Do you think do you think the Senators would take Barube and make that switch? I mean, there's a, there's a reason for them to do it. Julia, my gut says no, and not because I don't think, <laughs> excuse me, that, uh, that Craig Barube wouldn't be a wonderful fit and a great hire and exactly what they need. It just feels to me like Ottawa's waiting on the general manager situation before they address That's the coach. And, and I think Barube, and, and you you tell me if I'm wrong. Sometimes I think I'm too close to these situations, but you tell me if I'm wrong. Like, if you're going to do something in Ottawa before you bring in a general manager, I think you got to bring in like an interim guy. So that would be like a, like a Claude Julian, like, a, like somebody to ride out the rest of the season. I don't think Craig Barube is an interim guy. I think when you've won a cup as recently as he has, I think you when you bring him in, it's like let's bring him in on a three-year deal. That's just my feeling. No, I I, I understand that. I, I understand that. I, I, you could probably just let whatever assistant you have left on your bench ride it out, and then the next offseason you hire Craig Barube. Uh, I'm I'm trying to figure out what Craig Barube's contract was too, because that could also play a role, right? Th through the twenty, uh, according to Jeremy's piece, through the twenty four twenty five season, he was right. paid, or or he will be paid. So, so the rest of this season. And all of next year, Barube's taken care of. If do you do you uh, chill or do you decide to pack it up to go to Ottawa next year? I mean, we're just using Ottawa as an example, but that's something else that Craig Barube can think about. Yeah, no, I, I don't think I don't think he needs to jump on anything like today, but he no. seems like the type of guy that he, he should have an option or two on the table at some point in the next six months, 12 months. Right, it's, like it, it's just the cycle of coaching in the National Hockey yeah. League. Teams want to hop on that and want to dive into the. Maybe it just got to be a much better way than saying dumpster dive because there are. I get it. There's coaches who, who have done well, and a guy like Craig Berube wouldn't be this bargain bin find. He obviously has a Stanley Cup to his name. Teams are obviously going to call when the opportunity comes, but yeah, he. We've seen it before with coaches who have been in his spot and gotten fired they get cycled over for different teams. Totally. Um, yeah, no, there's gotta be a better term than dumpster. Dumpster. Yeah. Diving, uh, yeah. On, on we'll, fig um, we'll figure that out. We'll figure it out. Well, ask the listeners, the athletic hockey show at gmail.com. Help us out. Sometimes we, even though we're both writers and broadcasters, sometimes we struggle to find the right phrasing uh, on things. I thought this was a really fascinating story 
that broke on Wednesday morning. And that is uh, Ted Leonsis, who is the principal owner of not only the Washington Capitals, but the Wizards in the NBA, saying that his team is moving or planning on moving, Julian, from their downtown arena, Capital One Arena, which is like smack. If you've ever been there for the listeners, it is an amazing spot, heart of Chinatown. Uh, it's just it's right on the uh, on the train line. It, it's a great spot, but they're going back to the suburbs, so to speak, uh, moving to Northern Virginia. Uh, this would uh, this would be, I think, a pretty drastic move for a team that um, they're looking at a seventy acre parcel of land there uh, in Alexandria in Northern Virginia. Uh, it's a trendy kind of upscale uh, neighborhood. What like? I don't love arenas, and I say this as a guy who works in Ottawa. I don't love arenas that aren't downtown. I think that's why there's attendance issues in Carolina and Florida and Arizona and Ottawa. And, you know, go down the list. There's there's a connective tissue there if they're not downtown. I don't love this looking at it from the outside. Yeah, I just from seeing Washington fans talk about it, it seems as if that arena being in downtown has helped revitalize it. And and so many people think it's convenient to to kind of hang around that area. If, if the fact that it's on the metro line too, which is great to use, by the way. Um, I think a lot of people are going to miss it. It seems like the new the new spot they ideally would want something along that metro line too, out in the burbs. But it's not going to feel the same as as being downtown and being in that area. I one thing I like not just the fact that arenas are 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 being downtown like i think those are convenient locations but you're starting to see more and more places turn them into entertainment districts like in, in washington funny enough uh where their ballpark is uh there's an entire district where there's all these different shops and bars and you can literally walk out and you're walking into the ballpark and it's this open air concept where you can see everything it's a beautiful beautiful stadium i think so i i i think the idea of them moving Again, me not being there, it's it's hard for me to to feel away. And I've only been to DC a few times. I've actually never been to uh, that arena, but I, just having been to DC a few times, just the downtown's a beautiful area, and I can understand why some people would feel upset at this. Uh, and by the way, the wrench doozer uh, writes into the show says the site isn't too far from uh, downtown DC, just on the other side of the Potomac, uh, south of the Pentagon, and uh, and the airport. All right. We said we could try to get uh, uh, Jeremy Rutherford on. And I think we've got him lined up here for a couple of minutes. So we really appreciate uh, our man who covers the St. Louis Blues. I think we have him here. Uh, Jeremy Rutherford. Yeah, there we go. You want to talk about a busy man? It's a busy man. Hey, I got to give you some flowers here for that column that you dropped uh, overnight and into the morning because you um, y- you laid it on the line. You-, you said that this is an issue that wasn't related necessarily to coaching, but maybe on roster construction, maybe on the players. So... Take us through how you were feeling when you got the news last night that Craig Berube was out. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, Darren Drager mentioned on uh, Inside Trading that uh, there was some frustration in St. Louis. And obviously here in St. Louis, we knew that that was the case uh, just with the way that the team has played. But guys, I thought because the Blues admittedly were in a retool and Doug Armstrong said at the beginning of the season that they weren't too focused on the standings, that this would be a situation that could probably play out a little longer. Uh, before a decision like this was made. But uh, looking at the decision last night and then listening to Doug Armstrong for about 40 minutes this morning, guys, he said that uh, he just felt like uh, they needed to make a change. They felt like this team was better than it was showing on the ice. 
and the uh, peaks and valleys, which Doug Armstrong likes to talk about a lot, were too high and too low. You're talking about wins over Vegas, uh, losses to San Jose, and then recently Chicago and Columbus. You know, the column that I wrote for The Athletic, it's up there now, Ian, uh, Julian, is uh, I feel like the roster construction is a bigger issue than the coaching, and that falls on Doug Armstrong. Uh, I feel like uh, ever since they decided to let Alex Petrangelo go to Vegas, and I realize there's two sides to that, uh, it's been chasing the roster ever since. But a lot of guys have, have received long-term contracts with no trade clauses, and I think it's gotten us to this point, and I don't think that Craig Bruby had as competitive of a roster as he had a few years ago. So firing Craig Berube, the intention is what? You you mentioned from, from Doug Armstrong earlier today that the peaks and valleys being as they are, what does he want out of this roster for the end of the year? Well, the, the tricky part here is they want to be competitive now, and they also want to build for the future. So we remember that they traded Vladimir Tarasenko, uh, traded Ryan O'Reilly, uh, Ivan Barbashev. They got some good uh, picks out of that, some first-round picks. They come away with the number 10 overall, take Dalibor Dvorsky. He looks like a really good player right now in, in Sudbury. Uh, also, you have Jimmy Snuggerud, who's lighting it up at the University of Minnesota. So that's the horizon. That's what they're aiming towards in a couple of years that those guys could be here and be players for him. But in the meantime, Doug Armstrong went bargain shopping and picked up a, a Yakub Varana, a Kasperi Kapanen, a Kevin Hayes, and is trying to make this team competitive. So, you know, with making the, the coaching change, Doug Armstrong said, Julian, that uh, they want to get the most out of this roster. Doug Armstrong specifically said he feels like you could look at three or four of the rosters that they've lost to recently and he feels that this one is still better. So they weren't getting the most out of the team, thus the coaching change. JR, tell, tell us a little bit about Drew Bannister. I don't know anything about his coaching background, his personality, anything like that. Yeah, and he, uh, he's been with the organization for quite a while, you know, in terms of AHL coaches, right? You know, it seems like they change those out every couple of years, but he's actually been with a few other teams going back to uh, the San Antonio Rampage, and then now he's with uh, the Springfield Thunderbirds. Uh, I think a good hockey mind, you know, he played some games in the NHL, a defenseman, um, you know, a good mind. Uh, you know, I've talked to him on a number of occasions, real good guy. I think that, you know, coming in here, Doug Armstrong told him, look, this is going to be a wide open coaching decision. I want to give you the chance if you want it to come in here and uh, see what you can do with this group. Meanwhile, the search is going to obviously continue. But what he told Drew Bannister, this is what he said, I want two things. I want passion and I want accountability. I don't think there's been enough of that with the St. Louis Blues, particularly the passion you kind of see as we touched on earlier, uh, just the ups and downs and, and peaks and valleys. So um, accountability could probably be another issue, uh, as Doug Armstrong said, because we have had the captain Braden Chen come out recently and say he feels like guys are picking and choosing when they want to play. So does that all come down on Craig Ruby? Absolutely not. Uh, but it was a big enough issue that uh, they want to put a new person in there to try to bring that to the locker room and on the ice. What's the thinking of, of having Brad Richards as a consultant for the power play? Bring in Gretzky, Richards, whoever you can bring in, because this is, uh, you know, this has been tough to watch. You know, Steve Ott, who I feel is a quality coach, has been in charge of the power play. He took over uh, a couple of years ago and uh, really had a, a good year with the power play. Uh, but the past couple have, have not been great. It, you know, you've got Tory Krug at the point. We all know what Tory Krug looked like in Boston, but that was also four or five other guys, uh, just phenomenal power play players in Boston that brought a lot of success to that unit. Um, he hasn't been as good, I don't think, 
uh, moving the puck, quick decisions, you know, getting a shot off, things like that. Uh, but also you look at the fact that you lost to Ryan O'Reilly on the power play. You lost to David Perron, uh, you know, letting him walk. And he was, he's got a great one shot, one time shot, as you guys know. Um, and all that has been missing from this unit. So it's stagnant. It's not creative. Um, so what Doug Armstrong said is, Hey guys, I've, you know, he's talking to the media today. I've reached out to uh, Brad Richards recently. Um, he's going to watch from afar, watch tape of the power play, call us, let us know what he thinks we can add. Uh, but right now it's just kind of like a, an advisory role more than anything. Well, listen, I, we really appreciate you, uh, appreciate you taking a couple of minutes. I know you were jammed. I know what it's oh, like no. when there's a big change with the organization. Uh, so to just even shoehorn us in for a few minutes, really appreciate it. Listen, we, I can't, uh, uh, applaud you enough for that column. It was uh, raw. It was honest. It was accurate. All of that stuff. So terrific stuff. We look forward to your uh, your coverage uh, in the days to come with that change in St. Louis. And thanks for doing the uh, the Wednesday pod. No, you guys are my family. Thanks a lot. Anytime. Yeah. There he goes. Jeremy Rutherford, an all-timer. And uh, yeah, part of the family. Uh, another member of the family. Sean McAdoo. Down goes Brown. They're standing by. We'll get to him on the other side as we continue on with the Wednesday edition of the Athletic Conference. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, like I said, Julian, let's bring in another member of the Athletic Hockey Show family. It's our guy, Sean McIndoo. Uh, Down goes Brown, who uh, I want to give you an opportunity because now I'm not going to be putting you on the spot. And I'm pretty sure I have this story right. And if I don't, just tell me, Ian, you're a moron. But I can't help but think about Craig Berube and a young Sean McIndoo. There, there's a story, right, with a jersey? There is. There is a story. And the story is that Craig Berube in the summer of 1991 gets traded to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, this is Cliff Fletcher's first big blockbuster. It's the Grant Fear trade. Uh, sends Grant Fear to, to Toronto, but as part of that, they get Craig Berube. And for about three months, uh, Craig Berube fills the tough guy role in what is, let's remember, the Norris Division era, early 90s Maple Leafs. So he's going up against the Bobby Proberts, the Joey Kosers, Stu Grimson, on down the list. And at that time, my parents are asking me, what do you want for Christmas? I said, I want a Toronto Maple Leafs jersey. They say, okay, do you want a name on the back? What do you want? Do you want Wendell Clark? Do you want, uh, you know, the, Doug Gilmore hadn't arrived yet and, and all of that stuff. So there wasn't a lot to choose from. I said, no, no, I want Craig Berube. Now they did back then. They weren't selling Craig Berube. My parents had to go and get it custom made, special nameplate, get the number 16. But I got that for Christmas. I was really happy with it. I figured I got to be the only guy in Toronto who's got a Craig Berube jersey. This is this is cool. This is and I'm happy with it. And I didn't. I was on Christmas break, so I didn't get to wear it out. Uh, you know, for for a week. 
In fact, it was the day after New Year's. A couple of my buddies called me up and say, let's go downtown. I'll take the subway down. We'll do some, uh, you know, hit up the stores, uh, you know, get some stuff. I'm in and I know what I'm wearing. I'm wearing my Craig Berube jersey and I'm walking around downtown Toronto and, I, you know, a couple of people, you know, maybe kind of see it and whatever. But I notice as the day goes on, I'm starting to catch people's eyes. And in fact, I, I'm noticing that there's actually people who are like seeing my jersey and like kind of elbowing their friends and like pointing at me. And like, you know, I'm, man, this is, people love this jersey. This is great. Spent all day, all of that day, all of January the 2nd, 1992, downtown wearing my jersey with everybody looking at me. And I get home and I walk in the door and my dad says, nice jersey. Did you hear about the Leafs trade today? And I said, no, I didn't. And he said, well, they made a 10-player trade with the Calgary Flames. They got Doug Gilmore. No. One of the guys who got traded away in that trade was Craig Berube. <laughs> so Craig Berube spent two months no. with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh. I got his jersey for Christmas. I wore it one time with pride and couldn't figure out why everybody was staring at me. And it was because the news had begun to trickle out that this guy had already been traded and was already gone. No um, and I was to this day, I think I was the only Toronto Maple Leafs fan that day who was ticked off about the Doug Gilmore trade. I'm like, I can't stupid cliff Fledger. Why would he do something like this? Um, I wasn't happy about it. Worked out. Okay. Still have the Jersey. Okay. You, I was, that was my next question. Where's the Jersey? I still have it. I, it, it was my go-to road hockey Jersey for years and years and years. And, uh, I, I do still, I do still have it around up there. I probably am, am not going to, uh, uh, break it out anytime soon until Craig Berube gets named coach of the Maple Leafs in a few months. And then I'll, I'll probably, maybe I'll wear it to the press conference. I didn't even think of the Toronto Maple Leafs as a possible destination. If they somehow get fed up of, of Sheldon Keefe after this season, I didn't even think about that cup winning former Maple Leaf tough guy. What's the problem with the Maple Leafs, right? They don't have that toughness. They don't, what's the word? The snot don't have this. Just Try saying. I'm not saying, but I'm just saying. Oh, man. Anyway, I, I knew in my back of my mind, I'm like, yeah, I think this is perfect. We're bringing in McIndoo and there's a Barube story. It's a good opportunity for him to, to share the, uh, the, 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 the Barube story. So I figured, I figured man, Julian hadn't tough. heard that one. Yeah. I have never heard that story. That is incredible. <laughs> incredible. Oh, man. I love it. Um, you know what I also loved is this week you wrote the story about, and this is obviously coming off the heels of the Blue Jays almost getting or feeling like they were almost getting Shohei Otani last week. And you write, well, here are the six equivalents in the hockey world where a team was like, yeah, we got it. The star is superstars coming and it didn't come to fruition. At what point during the Otani mania in Toronto did the idea for this column sort of get planted in your brain. As the story started to fall apart, you know, I was like everyone else. I was excited. And and look, I've, I've said this in a few places. Stop acting like Blue Jay fans were unreasonable here. Stop blaming. It wasn't Blue Jay fans who went out and, and made up a bunch of stuff and, you know, pumped their own tires about uh, Shohei Otani. They got told by multiple serious, legitimate baseball media that this was happening. Uh, so, you know, don't, don't blame Blue Jay fans for, for buying what they were told, uh, was going to happen. Um, but yeah. And then of course we find out it all, it all falls apart. And so my thinking was, all right, has this happened in hockey before? Yeah, it has where a team and specifically where a 
uh, a, a fan base was led to believe that it was very likely, if not done deal, that a superstar was coming in. And, you know, was it a Shohei Otani level guy? Maybe not. We're probably never going to see something like that for a long time again in, in the pro sports world. But, yeah, this was uh, – uh, there there are some cases in the NHL, let's just say, that have, have been right up there. Yeah, I wrote about uh, one of the the situations you wrote in your column, the Drew McGinley almost to Boston but ends up mm-hmm. going to Pittsburgh. That is a fascinating story. I remember like that was in the the OG Twitter era. And, yeah. and you're seeing like Aaron Ward tweet out that he's going to Boston. You're thinking, all right, he's going to Boston. And then all of a sudden, it's it's just mayhem for him. If you you could probably find in the archive somewhere that story I wrote on the almost uh Jerome McGinley Boston trade. But just that particular one stands out for me because I know for sure I, I remember that one vividly. Like that story, just seeing him as a Bruin, and I know he eventually becomes a Bruin, it wasn't gonna sit right with me as a young Jerome McGinley slash Canadians fan. It was not yeah. going to sit well with me. It, it was it was a tough one because we had been we had been waiting for years for a Jerome McGinley trade. The, the flames were that classic stuck in the middle team, not bad enough to get the high draft pick, but not good enough to make the playoffs or, or, or scare anyone when they got there. And some would was, say that's the case now. Some would say, and everybody back then was looking at Jerome McGinley saying, okay, first of all, this is your guy that if you're going to trade somebody, this is the guy who's, who's going to kickstart your rebuild. You're going to get you know first round picks and prospects and all of this stuff. And second, he hadn't won the Stanley cup yet. This, this, became the new Ray Bork situation. You know, the decade plus removed from Ray Bork finally getting his Stanley Cup after a trade. And that great story and how everybody loved how that turned out. Okay, here it is again, Jerome McGinley. We got to trade this guy. And th- there were a few years where you thought the Flames might do it and they didn't do it. And finally, yep. Jay Feaster makes a decision that, okay, this is the, this is it. This is the year. It's the last year of his contract. He's going to be a classic rental. And you're just sitting there going, Man, I mean, think about even today, but especially 10 years ago, what do NHL GMs want at playoff time? They want toughness. They want leadership. They want guys who will play that physical game, guys who have played big games before and, you know, clutch. Go down the list. Jerome McGinley checked every single box. This is a guy with 500 goals, and now he's available. He's been on Team Canada's, won gold medals, and all of this stuff. You're sitting there going, man, this is going to be huge. And if I remember right, that night, he was supposed to be in the lineup in Calgary and got pulled out. And we all know what that means at, at deadline time. It means something is close. And sure mm-hmm. enough, Aaron Ward, not just on Twitter, but I, I think goes on TSN yep. and says, the he deal did. is done. He's going to Boston. Bob McKenzie tweets out, if it's done, and he he was careful. He said, you know, it, it's not done yet, but he says, this is what the deal is. This is who's coming the other way. So, I mean, it was obviously really close. Boston fans are celebrating. They're thinking, this guy's going to be perfect. Big Bad Bruins are back. You know, this is the ideal guy. And then a couple hours later, you hear, whoops, it's actually Pittsburgh. Or in a lot of cases, you wake up the next morning and you're going, wait a second. Why, why am I seeing Jerome McGinley photoshopped into a Penguins uniform? What the heck happened? What happened was somebody either changed their mind or had bad information or whatever it was. And there were a lot of bad feelings back then on the Boston side of things. I don't think just with the fans feeling like the Flames had maybe you know pulled the rug out from under them on something that was supposed to be a done deal. Had a happy ending if you're a Bruins fan because they beat Aginla and the Penguins in the playoffs. They did. Uh, and they do get Aginla in the, in the summer. But even that said, 
there's a lot of Bruins fans who look back. Remember, they lost to the Blackhawks that year in the Stanley Cup final. There, there's a lot of them saying, if we had Jerome McGinley, we get that one extra goal that you know keeps the the Dave Boland uh, goal from happening, or you know maybe gets us into a game seven. We win the Stanley Cup if we pull off that deal, but didn't happen. Not to be. Ray Sh- my favorite part of that story: Ray Shiro calls Jay Feaster to be like, "Hey, I saw the trade. Congratulations on on the deal happening." And Jay Feaster's like, "What are you talking about? We don't have anything." And Boy. then they get working on a deal of their own, and then it ends up happening. Make those follow up part of that story. Always, always, yeah, make the, not- always make the follow up call. Always make the congratulatory uh, phone call. See, Aaron Ward should have just said, "I." Ginla is going to a team that plays in black and gold. That's all That's I can right. tell you. That's all I can tell you. And he, he would have covered his bases. Hey, the, the other one that I thought was interesting, Sean, and you remember this from, I guess this would have been what, the summer of 2016. Remember all of the lead up and all of the clues and all of the hype around Steven Stamkos going to Toronto. And yep. he was liking like the tweet. tweets. And Done he... Deal. There was rumors that he was going to meet with Canadian tire executives, mm-hmm. and there was going to be all this sort of side money. And like, do you like? Do you remember how much hype there was with Stephen going yeah. back to Toronto? There was a lot. I mean, it, it was first of all the rare case of a legitimate superstar hitting free agency. Uh, you, know, you can count almost on one hand the number of times it's happened in the uh, in the, in the last few years. And then, yeah, the fact that he is Toronto kid. You know, this and this was back, you know, Brandon Shanahan had just come in and Lula Amarillo and everything. The Leafs were were finally reinventing themselves. And uh, you know, a lot of people were looking at this going, hey, this this is a natural fit. Right. Steven Stamkos, he's he's done his thing. He's he's uh, you know, he's been part of Tampa for a while. Now it's time for him to come home and be the guy that we do this rebuild around. Um, would have made a lot of sense. Um, and in fairness. Again, you know, not completely fans making stuff up. I mean, yeah, they went a little crazy on, you know, liking the tweet and and all that sort of stuff, but they had the meeting. Remember, this was back in the day where you could you could meet beforehand. Uh, there was that negotiation window. You know, he sat down, he he heard what the Leafs had to say. Um, and the, the craziest thing about the whole uh, all of it is there was this this build up. It like you're right. It was this massive story, not yes. just among Leaf fans, but but everywhere. Steven yeah. Stamko, is it going to be home? Is he going to, maybe Montreal's interested too? Is uh, Dallas, yep. I think, was involved? There Could some other team come in? And you're sitting there looking at this going, this is the biggest story of the week, of the month, of the summer in hockey. And then we found out that he was re-signing in Tampa Bay. And do you remember when we found out? I it remember. It was the I... same hour that we yeah. had the, the the Hall for Larson trade followed by the Subin for Weber trade. Yeah. And then 15 minutes later, it was like, by the way, Stamkos is staying in Tampa. And everybody was like, we don't care. We don't have enough. We, we're we dealing with the two biggest one-for-one trades that have ever happened, just happening within a few minutes of each other. We don't have time to think about Steven Stamkos right now. Yeah. And I stopped being a Canadiens fan that day, by the way. Really? I was packing I was packing my clothes uh, to move to Syracuse for grad school. I was leaving the very next day. And I see the Hall trade go down. I'm like, whoa, what is going on? And then the Subban trade happens, and I'm like, okay, we'll we'll screw this. I'm not. Please, please I'm not tell doing me. This. Please tell me your parents gave you a Subban jersey the week before. <laughs> oh, that <laughs> would have been for the so, first day. That yeah. would have been uh, so funny. That. But yeah, I I, I remember that son. day. I remember that day. I remember that day. I remember where I was. I was in my parents' basement. I had my suitcase out. I was packing stuff in the suitcase. I was checking my 
phone, checking my laptop, seeing all the news, and then the Stamco stuff comes in. You're just like, well, that just caps off one of the That's wildest. What was it, like 30 minutes? Yeah. yeah. It, was it was less than an hour. Less than an hour. Like the yeah. wildest 30 minutes in, in, in hockey transactional history. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 30, I, the number 38 sticks out to me. Like, I feel like it was all within that, 38 that minutes. Could be anyway. It. Uh, Sean, I know we only got a couple minutes with you, and I, I want to actually pass along a couple of questions for you from the audience, from the listeners. We got an email in for you, and a reminder, you can always hit us up, the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. So last week, I think I asked you, or we asked you, Sean, uh, would would you rather face the wrath of Lou Lamorello, uh, or I think it was Rick Tockett, right? Tockett yep. or Lamorello yep. after a loss. So this is an email that comes in from, uh, well, somebody else, also named Sean, who says, uh, hey, Sean. One of my former co-workers did PR for the Devils back in the early to mid-2000s. He tells a story of the Devils winning a thrilling game 6-5 to five when there was a, me- a national media outlet there writing about the team. The game was sold out. I think it might have been against the Rangers. So after the game, my friend is with Lou. He's gushing about what a great night it was for the franchise, selling tickets, national attention, winning a wild game. Lou said, what's good about it? We gave up five goals. I thought about this. When you were discussing who you would rather have mad at you on last week's show, that sounds like a very, very Lou thing to say. Very yeah. Lou. Five, five goals. We have five goals. Okay, and then I do have another one here. This is from a uh, a listener here. You, you can maybe see the question uh, for yourself, but uh, from uh, Cranman eighty five. So the Barube story that to- that you told the anecdote, John, did that ruin uh, getting jerseys for you? Were you nervous to ever get another? customized did you ever get another customized jersey post Barube? i i never did uh i don't think now this was this was like i was at the age where this was kind of like my last shot to like ask the parents for it so it kind of became my job from then on in so maybe that has something to do with it i can't remember did i ever get another custom jersey i don't think i did i think i I, this was this was it and yeah this is the risk, and by the way, this is not like you know. Sometimes these days, you see a player gets traded, and the, the the stores are like, "We'll change your jersey for you if you want." Not not back then, not back in the nineties. We weren't we weren't nice like that to uh, to hockey fans. I was stuck with it. So, um, yeah, that was a that was a big uh, that was a big concern. Well, and and Gordon actually has one more question for you, Sean. Uh, before we get to Marat, who's standing by, uh, two players involved in that January second, nineteen ninety two trade that you talked about between Calgary. In Toronto with Doug Gilmore. Two of those players would go on to win the Stanley Cup after said trade. Do you know who they are? Wasn't anybody with the Leafs. Uh, Gary Lehman won with the Habs yep. in 93. Yeah, he did. I believe he was he was yeah. on that team. Uh, and I want I know Jamie McCowan went to the Red Wings. Was he the other one? Yeah, like, I think so. One of those late 90s. Okay. Yeah. So that was that was you know what? I was looking up that trade, by the way, and I'm just gonna throw this out there for you, Ian, because I feel like this is the sort of thing. That if anyone's gonna gonna get uh, how amazing this was to me, so the the Leafs get they get Gilmore, they get uh, a couple other guys, including Jamie McCown, and they get Rick Natras. Yeah, I want you to picture Rick Natras, okay? Like when yeah. he shows up in the like the, the ultimate grizzled stay at home defender. Oh he's my god, gone, you're gonna missing, you're not gonna tell me he was thirty years old, were you? Are guess you? how old Rick Natras was? I, I was gonna guess thirty three. He was 29 years old. What? When that trade happened, what was what were we doing back then? This guy looked. If you had told me 39, I would have been like, "Yep, yeah, he was a veteran guy, you know, creaky old dude." All I ever he remember him doing with the Leafs was scoring from center ice against Patrick Waugh on Hockey Night in Canada one time. Yep. But he was 20. 20- 
Nine, uh, Jamie McCowan was 28. I thought these guys had so many miles on them. I, I would have figured yes. Rick Natchez was 33. This would be like 34. the Leafs getting the, you know, like Zadorov and Chris Tanev right now. It's the same yeah. age groups. It's it's crazy. These, those guys now, I mean, it was back then they had probably been in the league for 17 years somehow. But yeah, they were both in their 20s. That blew me away. Good I just saw a wow. photo of, of Rick Natras with with the hairline kind of back. Like I, I would have never guessed 28, 29. This is yeah, this is no right. Way. I mean, uh, the, on no uh, Ian and I used to have the we had the remember the Wendell line the the, you know, line. the idea that when Wendell was you know bald with the beard and everything and he was only twenty six we might need the Rick Natras line because yeah. I don't is there a player today that looks as old as Rick Natras did at like 29? Joe Pavelski does not look as old as Rick Natras no. did at twenty nine. Like, I don't I don't know if there's anybody there's there's a handful of coaches that look younger than he did back then so yeah i don't know man it was a different it's a different time to be a professional athlete i think oh man unreal all right hey listen this was a fun uh visit as always on a wednesday uh thanks for doing this and, and we'll hit you up again on uh on wednesday next week right on thanks guys there he goes sean mackindu uh uh always great to have uh sean on always a great trip down memory lane and and some fun stuff let us bring in uh our pal marat marat atesh who covers the winnipeg jets for us um, uh, yeah, we got him. There we go. All good to go. As, uh, we bring Murat in. Let, let me ask you this question, Murat. We just asked, uh, Sean just told a great story about getting a custom Craig Barube Jersey as a kid, only to have Barube traded a week later. Did, uh, <laughs> did mini Murat ever have, uh, like a Jersey customized Jersey for any team growing up? I mean, my Jersey stories are like my immigrant parents showing up at the learn what hockey is seminar at the local rink and asking our neighbors, the Abrahams, like, hey, do you have a shirt Marat could wear? So just like I don't have a story in a similar vein, but like just full credit to everybody who's been at a rink and who's seen that family who didn't know what was going on. It was like, yes, we got we got a jersey for you. We got socks for you, all that stuff. Oh, we got a shirt for it. It's, it. Trust me, Julian and I are the same way. Like we both, right? We come from uh, immig- like parents who immigrated to Canada. So I, I totally get yeah. it with the, uh, yeah, the, uh, the. Do you have a shirt that my son could wear? <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> I mean, years go by, and like I wasn't a particularly uh, good hockey player, but I did end up on like a regional all-star team where they gave us our name bands with these really like peacock feathery stars all over the name band it's like a little bit show-offy for my personality but i i took that home and i asked my mom can you stitch that on my on my white shell wild jersey so i always had like this like way too showy stars everywhere over the name band sort of thing i remember that too what player did you just say just now on a wild jersey Oh, the white shell wild. I'm really, all of this is deep cuts. I'm on the athletic NHL show yeah. and I've named a story from Pinawa, Manitoba. If you've even heard of that out there, good luck to you. Oh, man. And, uh, <laughs> and the white shell wild was the regional team I played for. Okay. You must have been good though. You can't say I wasn't very good, but I made my way onto a regional all-star team. Like you must have been pretty good. I tried really hard. I had a lot of energy. I had an awful lot of energy. And so the hands yeah. weren't necessarily there. The wheels weren't necessarily there. But um, if if the puck happened to be near, you wouldn't know it to look at me. But I, I had one of those freakish competitive levels. So people would bounce pucks in off of me sometimes. Oh, man. <laughs> 
What a story, yeah. man! What oh, I mean, you've you've been you've been doing obviously great with uh, your Winnipeg Jets coverage, and obviously looking at the Jets right now. We saw what they were like last year. We're seeing what they're like this year, but uh, it looks as if they're going to be without Kyle Connor for the foreseeable for the foreseeable future after that knee on knee against Anaheim. Uh, what can you tell us about about seeing that play and, and what the Jets are going to have to do in absence of one of the most underrated goal scorers in the game? Yeah, so I mean, I was in that building in Anaheim. Kyle Connor makes just a tremendous move into the middle of the ice. And one of the ironic things about all of this is you love moments when Kyle Connor cuts into the middle of the ice. Um, it's been a dynamic look for him this year. He's stepping around people. He's going to dangerous areas and he's scoring um, not like an Ovechkin range of from the top of the circles, but he's scoring from right in close to the net because he's driving to dangerous areas. On this case, you know, Ryan Strom uh, leans in with the shoulder. He misses the shoulder. His knee is there. He's also square to Connor with his knee um, and isn't able to dodge or doesn't dodge or what have you. The knee-on-knee -knee co collision is uh, is a direct hit. It's It looks immediately like it's going to be painful. Kyle Connor goes to the ice. He stays down for a moment, and he's not the type to do that despite his small stature. He's tough in that sort of particular way. Uh, it took... Nikolai Ehlers and Josh Morrissey to help him get off the ice. He wasn't able to put any weight on his right on his right leg. So Strom missed his check, got him with his knee. Um, and you could tell right away that that was going to be a long-term thing. You didn't need the PR update to say he wasn't coming back that night. Now, it looks like we're looking at something in the two-month range for, for Kyle Connor. But he was flown home and was evaluated in Winnipeg last night. I'm not sure what the updates were upon further evaluation by Jets team doctors. It's going to be, we're talking months and we're talking about a really good player who the Jets will sorely miss. Yeah, we're talking about, like like uh, Julian said, one of the best goal scorers in the game that doesn't maybe get the national uh, attention that he deserves. So, I mean, look, the Jets have had quite the year. Uh, we weren't sure. I almost kind of put them in the same bucket as St. Louis where I wasn't. I wasn't sure had their sort of best before date, had they reached their best before date, had that expired, but they've gone through a little bit. Rick Bonus had to leave because of a family situation. Uh, he's back. Like, what, what's the feeling there? Like, and what, what, is, what has been the feeling around Rick Bonus coming back and, and being back behind the bench? Yeah, I mean, I think the confidence in Winnipeg is high. Like, you talk to these guys, and obviously they're going to want to portray strength, but... I believe that they believe that they're a good team, that they've made some real improvements to their team top to bottom. And one of the things that last year's team gets criticism for, or maybe when, when people look at last year's season and say, okay, well, the Jets, you know, signed Hellebuck and Shifley. Well, those are the same guys, you know, no major transformations other than Pierre-Luc Dubois and Blake Wheeler, which is a pretty big deal. And the, pieces coming back in Gabriel Velarde, Alex Ayafalo, and Rasmus Kupari. Um, that's transformative. But I think that people forget Nino Niederreiter and Vladislav Nemesnikov were trade deadline additions last year. And they were exactly of the hardworking, forecheck hard, backcheck hard, bulldog your way to the middle of the ice if you got a, a type of player that Winnipeg was sorely missing last season. I think that they were really great chemistry ads for the team. And they weren't able to transform Winnipeg's you know, fortunes against Vegas in the in the playoffs. They but they were only there for a quarter of the season. We're seeing what the team looks like with them as added depth, plus Ayafalo, plus Velarde, all of that sort of stuff. You're seeing a deeper Winnipeg Jets team. You're also seeing a team that 
is sort of taking last year's defensive improvements and really doubling down on them. You got five guys that are willing to back check to the middle of the ice, protect the middle of the ice, dangerous areas. You have wingers like Kyle Connor, not really known for their defense, some really horrid defensive metrics over the years who are committing in new ways. And, and I think that that's helped. You're also seeing the Jets embrace the stretch pass, which has been relatively new to the team. So when those five guys are in Winnipeg zone, they collapse, they protect the middle of the ice, they're playing a zone defense, they're committed to it this year. When Winnipeg gets the puck and it's on Josh Morrissey's stick and there's an outlet pass to be had, the Jets are stretching two forwards really, really aggressively and it's paid dividends for them. They're making genuine systemic improvements. So I think this is an, un- this is an above average NHL team. I don't know if they're going to hang around that division lead. I don't know if they're going to be towards the absolute top of the Western Conference but I see a playoff spot in their future and some quality play. Okay. Uh, that was actually going to touch off of what I was going to ask Nesco about where you see this team without Kyle Connor in the lineup, but that's a really good way of answering it. So I'll ask about another Jets player. Well, he's not with the Jets anymore, but he's long associated with the franchise, and he seems like he's fallen on some hard times in in, in Columbus in, in Patrick Line. Only five goals, eight points in 17 games this year with Columbus. Just curious about your thoughts on how Patrick Lyonnais' career has been since he's left Winnipeg and now in his current situation in Columbus. It just doesn't seem like the ideal situation for him. I mean, the one game he played for Winnipeg, the season that he got traded to Columbus, was a three-point night. It was dominant. It was a Jets win. I think everybody was saying, hey, this guy has arrived in, in a brand new way. And certainly he wasn't happy at the time. And the trade was eventually made to Columbus. And Pierre-Luc Dubois came back. Jack Rosovic also went to Columbus. Um, but I think that many people assumed that he would continue that trajectory from there. I guess my opinion on, 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 on what's happened for Patrick Laine is twofold. The first is that a lot of tough things that have, have happened. That is not a deep Columbus Blue Jackets organization offensively. Patrick Laine isn't really a play driver. He's not a guy that dominates where the puck is going to be on the ice. He's got that tremendous shot. He has offensive instincts. He can play on the wall in the offensive zone at certain times. But he needs, to. He needs, I think, a deeper uh, supporting lineup. I don't think he's your number one guy on any, on any team, and I think he's been asked to do a fair bit. Um, he's also lost his father in the time that, that he's been in Columbus. The day that he was benched uh, not too long ago was the two-year anniversary of his father's passing. Um, I, you know, I saw that in a Line A Instagram story, and then and then doubled back and confirmed. Um, they've asked him to play center, which you know I would never have imagined coming out of watching him play in Winnipeg as well. And I, I really think he's a uh, he's still relatively young. Certainly, maturity-wise, he hasn't rounded into that two hundred foot player or anything like that. I think he needs to be surrounded by some real quality, by some players who that he had, he admires, he respects, he looks up to, a coaching staff that's really working with him collaboratively that he admires. And I'll just end that thought by saying, why do I say that? It's because when I went to Finland and I talked to his minor league hockey coaches from Tampere in Finland, and they're talking about, okay, what makes this guy tick? The stories I got were, well, he would really selectively choose who he paid attention to as a boy. If that if that coach had pro experience, if he would had done something, if he had made it, he was the best student, grade A student, model, um, you know, team player, all of that sort of stuff. But he would tune people out. And I think that that respect, um, you know, I, I think that there's a combination of he needs to have that and the quality around him. And that's a lot to ask for 
in Columbus right now. Yeah, it, it's it's remarkable. His first two seasons in the NHL, Patrick Laine, 80 goals. First two seasons. His parts of four seasons in Columbus, 63. So it's, uh, yeah, and he's had injury issues. And, and, and yeah, like you said, you, you always want to cheer for the athlete. You want to see them do well. But it just, boy, it feels like a uh, square peg, round hole situation maybe in Columbus. It just doesn't quite, uh, just doesn't quite uh, uh, seem to fit. Um I'll tell you what, why don't we, why don't we get you, we'll wrap up, we'll ask you this question because we got a, a live question uh, coming in from a, a viewer here, uh, Murat, and this one comes in from Wrench Doozer, which uh, again, I'm always leery, Julian, you have to, you have to step in and tell me if one of these handles no is like, I have no idea what that I'm, means, man, don't look at me. Okay, well, you guys are younger than me, so yeah. Wrench Doozer has some double entendre and I'm making a fool of myself. <laughs> Just please. Yeah, you're the young and cool one, Julian. But okay, I'm saying this. This is what happens with the Jets roster. Should Connor's injury be longer than the speculated six to eight weeks? They recalled Tony Nato. Yep, that happened today. But would a worse than expected timeline mean Lambert or Shipperkov to be recalled? And for me, the roadmap to how Winnipeg handles Doozer is from Fraggle Rock. That's amazing. I, I wish I remembered that. I had no game. idea. I was too <laughs> young for Fraggle Rock. <laughs> um, I, I look at the Gabriel Velarde uh, injury and recovery as sort of a, a timeline for how Winnipeg's going to approach things with Kyle Connor. I'm not saying it's the same injury. I don't know that. I mean, obviously knees. What I mean is that the Jets backfilled from within, from veterans. They didn't go to that top prospect well too early. Um, Nikita Chibrikov leads the Manitoba Moose in points. Brad Lambert is second. These are top prospects with a lot of skills. I understand the thinking that, hey, you know, Kyle Connor, top six forward. Okay, that's an opportunity for these guys to show what they've got. But Winnipeg weathered the storm without Gabriel Velarde uh, by going to Dominic Toninato, by going to Jonsson Fialbi, by going to their depth veteran players. I think that's the roadmap here, um, even in a, in a long-term scenario, unless one of those kids goes absolutely supernova in the A. Amazing. Hey, by the way, Reg Doozer also has a little hot tip for you, uh, Murat. Uh, Rent Suji says the ice cream stand in uh, Pinawa near the marina is great. Facts, pure facts. This is an amazing fact. Yeah, I love it. Okay, well, Thank that's not a, that's not a, an insider tip. You already knew that. I, I honestly, I, I I may have worked at it as a teenager. So, Ooh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Look at that yeah. beauty. Town of fifteen hundred people. <laughs> I love it. Scoops as a teenager, and now Scoops as a reporter. It's all. It's all this time. Love it. Great stuff. Hey, uh, thanks for uh, dropping by. Uh, we love having you on and, and chatting all things Winnipeg and, and league-wide with you. Thanks for uh, thanks for dropping by the Wednesday pod. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. There goes our guy. Murat. Uh, boy, he, he, he's he's great. And and I one day we'll do a, a, a compilation of fun stories where people from the athletic, where they worked before getting into media. Oh, my God. Do we want? I mean, I, I, I would love to know where everybody worked before. You know what? That'd be a good idea. That'd yeah. be a that's a fun like summer episode when like nothing. You know what? Going you know, on. it's actually a fun story to dig sometimes with NHL players. Yeah, like I, you know, the most random one of all. So you remember Johnny Oduya? He yeah. played defense for the Devils and it bounced around. He was around. an Atlanta Thrasher. He was an Atlanta Philly, Thrasher. Atlanta. And they had him. Uh, Dustin Bufflin, yeah. Evander Kane, yeah. and there's another. Uh, oh God, Nigel Dawes, Nigel Dawes. Yeah. There was that time yeah, when there yeah. were like four black players on the Thrashers yeah. at the same time. Yeah, and so I remember Johnny Oduya. I'd have to go back and double check, but like one year 
uh, Julian, he worked at a uh, at like a cemetery, uh, and and he was actually one of his summer jobs was like he had to like dig uh, like dig with, with a shovel, help dig graves. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, like it, anyway. So sometimes guys have really interesting, weird, kind of quirky stories of of, of jobs that they used to have. That's so him and I'm Jeff Merrick happy. would get along, uh, right? Because because Jeff wasn't the story with Jeff Merrick, uh, who uh, works for the very prominent Thirty Two Thoughts podcast. Didn't he? He was a grave digger too, and he buried um, oh Harold God. Ballard. Yes, Harold yes, Ballard. That's who it is. Yes, he buried. Was him. it not? Yeah, it was him. It was him. Yeah, that's a that like yeah, that was a wild. That's a wild. That's that was. I remember hearing that story. The one player I could think of in terms of jobs. Uh, I know Martin Saint Louis when he was still living in Laval worked in a lumber yard like every summer. It was just you know, like yeah, he just worked in a lumber yard essentially, and yeah, that was like a really interesting summer job. And remember, he went undrafted too, so like he when like the draft was going on, like he just be it was like work he was working that day, I think. So yeah, a lot of people have uh, strange uh, jobs. Okay, let, let's let's tackle that. You and I will do a story for the off season. We just talked to guys. Give us a random job, and we put together like the best fifteen summer jobs. <laughs> off season okay. summer jobs off-season, for many top players. Summer jobs. Yeah. What do you think, Connor Bedard? Story for August. The, how do you think Connor Bedard passed the time in the summer? Do you think night? any of those super elite? <laughs> I'm first overall, and everyone knows I'm special since I was eleven. Like Crosby, <laughs> McDavid, Bedard. Like they weren't working at Dairy Queen. Maybe they weren't. One of them did. Maybe one of them did. I don't know. No way. I don't. Maybe. I mean, that'd be pretty funny, right? Like no maybe way. not Connor Bedard. Maybe Connor Bedard has just been engineered every single. He's, it seems like he. Yes. There's the uh, Julia writes in uh, on YouTube. Uh, Arbor Jack guy uh, worked at Costco. That is a very that is out there that I know for sure. Well, there's no way Arbor Jack guy, given his personality, was the greeter. No, Costco. no. Arbor Dude, Jack guy is the guy who checks your receipts on the way out. That's nah, Arbor Jack guy. Dude's the guy in the back loading up all the different like meat into one area of the store or some other some other product appliance or whatever. He is not checking receipts. Or if he's going to do that, I mean, you're gonna he's gonna get gonna annoyed that he needs physically. better use of his time. Oh man, I yeah. he's not the sample guy either. Harper jacket. Not handing out samples. <laughs> no, no, no chance. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's wrap up uh, Wednesday. Uh, I got to get your your take on this. Again, sometimes I, I, I fear, Julian, that I'm too close to situations and I cover games. So I love your outsider perspective. Tuesday night, Brady Kachuk of the Ottawa Senators came in on a penalty shot late in the game against uh, Kochetkov from uh, Carolina. Piotr uh, Kochetkov, the uh, the goalie for the Hurricanes. And Kochetkov, this was, this was really weird. I, I have never seen a penalty shot play out like this but Brady Kachuk first of all came in at full speed like I've never seen Kachuk skate on a penalty shot shoot on a temper or anything with this type of pace or speed and he came in full throttle to the net and Kochetkov came diving out like he was Johnny Bauer from whatever year Johnny Bauer played 1963 and he trips Kachuk he makes the save he trips Kachuk Kachuk goes actually he was going with such speed he went flying into the end boards Kachuk gets up and starts beaking uh, the uh, Kochetkov, the goalie. Kochetkov yells back at him. Kachuk gets thrown out of the game. I got a question for you. Okay. okay. And this is a legitimate question. I don't know the answer to it. Okay. But now, Kachuk was awarded a penalty shot because they ruled that the goalie, Kochetkov, had thrown his stick on a previous scoring attempt. So Kachuk right. gets a penalty shot. Is it possible that on the penalty shot, the referees could rule, ah, actually, Kochekov, what you did was wrong. It's another penalty shot. Penalty shot. It, it could happen, right? I, I, I'd have to double check the rule book, but I, I would think laugh. so. Why wouldn't it? I would laugh so would, hard if that happened. I, I guess all I was thinking was, I'd love to see that happen. Just one time where a player is taking a penalty shot and the goalie throws a stick or something. And they're like, well, you know what? Another penalty shot. You could just go on in perpetuity. Yeah, just like if you're a goalie, just continue to throw. Yeah, as long I mean, as long as the rule isn't that you know if a goalie does that, then they rule it automatically a goal. Why not just do that if you feel you can get away with it? It would be pretty hilarious, but maybe tiresome after like the third or fourth time. 
Like, yeah. if you see it a second time, I could see an entire crowd just going crazy. Oh, another felony shot. But if you do it like a third or fourth time, you're going to get booed. Uh, Julia says that anybody who's ever watched Kochetkov play in the AHL could have expected him to do that. So, it, look, it was an aggressive move. Brady didn't like it. Um, but I, I don't I don't think Kochetkov did anything nefarious or against the rule. Like, I love I them know. beaking at each other at the end. Like, that's not something I've ever seen before. I've never and, seen that before. And to see Brady um, get, get so upset and Pyotr Kochetkov try to hold his own and be like, yeah, like, yeah. what are you going to do? I like I I thought that was awesome. That was a yeah. really fun moment. You've seen a lot yeah, of fun that, moments this week. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another fun one happened. Uh, we we tried to tee this up on Tuesday. Connor v. Connor. Yes. Uh, McDavid and the Oilers get the last laugh. They've won eight straight games, eight in a row. Uh, but Bedard with the goal of the night. And I'll tell you, you know, Ju I think I remember saying this in the off season that based on everything that I had seen and based on talking to people. It was my feeling that when Connor Bedard came into the league, he would have one of the best five shots in the league already. Like, I think Matthews has the most unique, dynamic, deceptive release of a shooter uh, in the game today. Uh, I think Bedard's in the top five. And I, I think it was proven last night. I don't understand how he had the room, the time, the space, whatever, to get that shot off in the manner in which he did to score on Skinner. I think he's got one of the best five shots in the game already. I don't disagree with that. And it's the way that he beats Stuart Skinner clean. Just yes. getting the shot off and it just goes top shelf and Stuart Skinner has no chance. That's what's incredible about that move. It's funny. The Oilers win that game. They're, they're, they leapfrog the flames in the standings. But we're going to talk about that Connor Bedard goal for a while. And yes. It just feels as if there's been, there's been a handful of moments already this year where Connor Bedard has surprised us and amazed us with the talent like he's been everything we've expected so far and that shot it's filthy yeah i don't think you're wrong for saying it's a top five shot in the league yeah i think so let's wrap it with, might not even you, be five it might be top three uh yeah uh, and i don't know who else i'd love to hear from the listeners i mean who, like i guess the way to phrase this question for listeners who do you think in the game right now has a better shot definitively or you know something comparable to bedard matthews is for me yeah. uh, uh i mean boy um, Pasternak, maybe for me. Um, but but anyway, I'm open to hearing uh, what people think. I do want to to wrap on this because when we're talking about McDavid and Bedard, you do start to think about the All-Star game. You do start to think about some fun skills stuff. And you ended up writing about this, Julian. The NHL, when they host the All-Star game in Toronto at the uh, beginning of February, are going to do a revamped skills competition. Instead of having a whole bunch of guys compete in a whole bunch of events, it's going to be the same 12 guys competing in a handful of events and you're going to earn points. And the person who ends up with the most points gets one. I, I feel like I got to do the Dr. Evil. One yeah, million dollars, one million dollars, one million dollars, one million dollars. Um, yeah, I, I, I wasn't sure if, if I wasn't sure if I should try it. Like I, I got the finger up here, but like, I didn't yeah, know yeah, that that's, I like full Dr. Evil here. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want people to be in the comments be like, this guy sucks. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. That con yeah, I, I like it. I'll be I'll be quite honest with you. When I saw that it was announced, I think I like it. I feel as if in recent years for the skills competition, one complaint we've seen a lot is that the players don't try hard. And we've seen that, especially for the breakaway challenge, where you're seeing guys try and miss, and it, it, it doesn't necessarily work out as well. This seems like 
at least an attempt at trying to get whoever is participating to try because there is a a a a prize at the end of it i'm curious what the players will do with it if they win that one million if they keep it for themselves or if they donate to charity but you give them an incentive at the end of it and and you're still going to be able to keep events like fastest skater hardest shot there's supposed to be a one-timer challenge as well a passing competition Uh, from from what i understand i believe the the 12 players get to participate in four of the first six events and then that number gets down to eight in terms of players and then they'll they end up in a fifth event and then the sixth event which is supposed to be an obstacle course you get the final six people and the best six people uh the winner among them whoever has the most points they end up winning there's a point system attached to this too uh, the article i wrote on the athletic will explain it better than i'm doing right now but i just generally like the fact that they're trying to get guys to try i'm, I'm also curious about how they're going to get people to partake in this i'm i'm very intrigued at that as well whenever we get more details well what about the fans how, how are you going to get them um how are you going to get that here's what i think you're going to give out a million dollars to the winning player i think you should split that the winning player gets 500 grand split and one who? random fan who's watching gets the other 500 grand and you got to prove that you've been watching the whole time and I think that's how you get eyeballs on the. You tell me you uh, wouldn't watch. You put your name in a lottery, and you prove that you're watching the entire skills competition. Like I'd a fifty-fifty draw. It's a that's 50/50 actually draw. Pretty, me and that's me and McDavid. That's pretty funny. Like you anyone who watch, give me half like, a mil. Like each fan base that's represented. Like I guess the team could hold some kind of lottery, and then they pick a name. It's like okay, you're the name that could the split guy. it fifty. That's pretty funny, actually. That's actually pretty cool. Good job. That's a great idea. There you go. <laughs> you you high voiced it too, which makes me think you're you're not sold. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a good idea. Ian. Sounds a really good idea. No, I actually think it's a pretty funny idea. I actually think it's oh. a good idea. I shouldn't have high voiced it. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I I just I just think generally speaking, you need the skills competition. I mean, you obviously need to be good, of course, but you do not want it to be a situation where you have guys not trying. And you get guys out of it and fans out of it. I also hope that the TV product for this will be good. I don't know if you remember watching the event last year. Uh, just the they had the breakaway challenge and they kept interrupting each after each participant with some random event going on. Like the way they did it last year was just not ideal. So I hope that this year's event in Toronto uh, with the skills competition with the game itself, just the TV product has to look better. So, uh, and maybe the new format will help make that be the reality. Yeah. Okay. We we, we should probably leave it there because I know we've gone just over an hour because yeah, the hour has flown by. Huge thanks to Jeremy Rutherford, Murata Tesh, Sean McIndoe, uh for helping spend the hour uh, with us. It was awesome. Thank you, the listener and the viewer, for, for hanging out with us too uh, for the last 60 minutes or so on the Wednesday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Uh, I want to let you know that on Thursday, hey, I wish I had one of, you know the NFL Films guy who is a John Facenda, who has that deep voice? I wish I could promo something like him. I wish we yeah. had, and you Haley know what? Salvi and Max Boltman, Sean Gentile. I'll be stopped myself because we're already over the hour. I would love an, NA, an NHL equivalent to NFL films. Would that yes. not be the coolest thing? Anyway, that's for a whole other episode. It's another episode, another show. Salvi and Boltman Gentili will come your way on 
Thursday. I want to thank you again for listening to the Wednesday edition of the pod with Julian and I. Uh, right now, you got a deal with The Athletic. You can get the one-year subscription to The Athletic for $19.99 or a two-year subscription for $39.99 when you visit athletic.com slash hockey show.